Hey, this is Fernando from the Fernando Mastrangelo Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Mark Gratton, the winner of Ellen's Next Great Designer. He's a dynamic designer that co-founded Bitty Bixie Studio out of Mexico City. He was recently the first black person on the cover of El Decor. He's also working with Solange as a consultant on her St. Huron project. We get into all the ups and downs of his path to winning the show, to being a controversial figure, and what he's planning to do with his career moving forward. I'm super excited to talk to him, so let's jump in. Mark Gratton, how are you, sir? I'm good. You are a busy man these days. As this podcast is going to come out, you have already been revealed as the winner of the Ellen's Next Great Designer Season (laughs) 1 HBO Max. Yes, it's real. It's true. It was a little bit of a sort of a dreamy, non-existent experience until recently, since like everyone has actually gotten to know what has gone down in the last nine months of my life. Yeah, tell me that actually. How did you keep it secret? You must have been like, nah, I just want to tell. I mean, I, my family knew, obviously. I couldn't keep it from them. I couldn't keep any of those experiences from them. I think I, I, I mean, I touch base with them every day. You know, they were my support group, my cheerleaders. Like every time I thought I was going home, I would talk to them and cry. Like Fernando, all those days, like waiting for the the judging was like- Torture. Torture. You really had like such a emotional experience through it, especially through the judging. And why do you, why do you think that was? I mean, why was this so emotional for you at times? I think it was emotional for me because like, it wasn't for me. Like I pulled myself out of the competition, like mentally, like it wasn't a selfish endeavor. It became about representation and it came about like being a role model and it it became more out of body. So this is why it became so emotional to me. It became about my mother, but then it became about the kids and it came about the exposure of like, you know, the minority. So like, it was a different type of pressure and a different type of why did, you put, why did you put that pressure on yourself? I'm curious, you know, you talked a lot about it. And I'm glad that throughout the show that those parts were edited in. I feel like, you know, that was part of your narrative. Tell me a little bit about why that's important to you. You know, obviously, I know the basic answer, but I want I want to hear from you maybe a little bit about your experience coming up or growing up. And then being in this field and thinking like, yo, I need to represent this, you know, and and why that's important to you. It wasn't actually important to me for a really long time. You know, BLM, maybe I speak for myself, but I'm sure a lot of other people have had the same sort of reaction or experience or inner dialogue is that like, just as much as like the non-Black community was sort of awakened by all of this, I'm sure a lot of the Black community was as well, because we'd always been taught to suppress our feelings or be numb to things, or, you know, it just became so, so much of a habit and so much of, you know, an attitude that was ingrained in us because of systemic racism. It was no longer a conversation to be had. It was something that you were dealing with on your own and like you needed to just put that away. So like my brand, Vinny Vixie, like how I presented my work, it was never supposed to be about my blackness. It was never about my gayness. It was about the work and only the work. And I never wanted to use that as a catalyst to my success. I never wanted to sort of hang on to that for the obvious reasons. Like I didn't want to use that as, you know, as my advantage. But I, there came a point in my career where I realized that I needed to put this in the forefront. And that was during BLM. I was already in the process of coming out to the world. You know, I, I designed a mirror for my, for Vidi Vixie and 
the campaign was me in front of that mirror. And it was a conversation with myself. It was a conversation about who I am as a person, but I'm speaking to myself, but the, the outsiders and the spectators are listening to my story, but I'm not telling it to them. I'm telling it to me. And this is, was sort of where this all started. This was the birth of everything extrovert for me. Like, so I'm sorry, you, you hadn't been out before that? Is that what? It, no, I mean, I was out, like oh. out. But like, okay, okay. <laughs> since I was 25 and that's still late. But um, I was coming out to myself, I guess, because I was always hiding behind my work. Do you feel that your work, even though you didn't want your work to be about blackness or gayness, do you feel like that is in there in some way? I, of course it's in there because I can't create without my experiences. I need these experiences. I need these, you know, these triumphs and these hangups and these difficulties to create the energy and the concept and the vision of Mark. You know, that's an important there, I, You know, a lot of times I see your work and I think there is a kind of eroticism or something like this. And maybe it's because of the way you present your photos and things like that. Like, you know, where the one where you're wearing a wig in it and things, there's, there's mm -hmm. something going on there. And, but the, the surfaces, like the mirror bed, for example, right? Something like this, like that has mm -hmm. a level of eroticism in there, you know? So, Talk a little bit about that work and what, what that signifies a little bit. My work is very provocative. It, it, it exudes sex. It, it exudes a certain type of energy. I can't say it's necessarily deliberate. I can't say it's inherent, you know, like it comes naturally. Mm. You know, I think I'm a very sensual person, not, you know, sensual in, in every aspect, like how I design a space, obviously. What I wear, how I talk sometimes, I think can be seductive, but like seductive in a way that is controversial. It, it does. It has this like high-end porno set. But it's refined in a way that yes. like, it, 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 it's, it's not refined. nasty. Like, yes, it's, it's like Demore Studio meets porn meets, uh, I don't know. Yes, it's, it's almost like you push it just far enough but pull it back just a little bit. Like someone once said, they described my work. It's like, Mark, it's like you've turned the volume all the way up, but turned it just where it needs to be. Like That's a, that's a very good description. And yeah. I loved it and that stuck with me. So that, I think that says it all really. It's like, I'm almost pushing it too far, but like just in a really weird place where it's not too far and it's not too... Cheap. Where where did this come from? So your father, talk a little bit about your past. So you, you, your father was a woodworker. You're obviously a talented maker, which honestly I didn't really recognize until the finale. Because look, I've been in shops my entire life. And the way I saw you working the shop, I was like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. And honestly, that was from watching the show, not watching you in person. But I was like, man, he's really got a facility with this. And obviously, I think that that goes back to your father, a little bit of that history. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, that's really interesting because I had a conversation with my sister about this the other day. She's like, everyone thinks our dad was like a professional woodworker. He wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was a hobby. Oh. But like, he had so much passion with it. And, you know, he was an artist. He used to paint murals around Cleveland. He also was very interested in landscape architecture. And like, I just got this from him. And my mother, she was an educator, but and she was really good at implanting sort of motivation into children and especially her children. Like, so he's like, if you want to do it, you can do it. You know, it was that attitude. And plus my father being the creative he was, and also my, you know, my family, 
it was a pioneer black family. Like they did things we weren't supposed to do. That's where I get all of it from, from the combination of these two powerful black people who molded their children to be as successful as they possibly could. So like, I've, you know, I learned how to just like, not give a fuck about anything, not be scared about anything. You have a lot of confidence. And I think that that came through like you're, you know, you have confidence and then you're humbled by, you know, some of the things that you end up doing. But I think you approach everything with a high level of confidence. And that really came through. And I think sometimes people interpret that as maybe arrogant. Yes. Everyone thinks I'm so arrogant. Like everyone thinks I am too outspoken. I'm not. I'm just honest. And like, I think people need to be a little more honest. I'm not, you know, talking down to people. I don't talk shit about people. I'm just I don't have any filters. It's a defense mechanism, I suppose. Mm. Like, it sounds a bit counterproductive because you think I'd just be friendly and upbeat about everything to protect my failure. But so this is probably why there's been quite a bit of um, chatter online about some of the pieces failing or, you know, breaking or coming apart. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, one, what was your sort of thoughts around that? Did you care? Did you think that we should, as judges, take that in consideration or were you just like, look, you know, four days, these are prototypes and shit's gonna not be finished. Cause it feels like more, you were trying to push ideas over like final product. <laughs> yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one is that, you know, in some cases my ambition did get the best of me in certain areas, but that was, that was for me, that's what the definition of the competition was, was to push yourself out of your comfort zone Push yourself into places you've never been before and see what happens and have confidence and motivation along the way. And I don't know, it seemed to work out for me. I know that people think that it should not have worked that way for me. It seemed to me that there was two camps starting to happen, right? And I think this is a, a larger design conversation as well. It's like one thing was you had sort of the artist's approach, right? I would put you in that category. I would put Irvi in that category. Erica in that category and then you had a little bit more of the industrial design uh, architectural approach to things Ariel would be um, Alejandro so and that's actually a two fields that are divergent in the design industry right now and you know one is a little bit more focused on kind of collectible design art and in fact you said on the challenge with the coffee table the the shape challenge you're like look dude mm -hmm. You're not supposed to put a, a, a glass on this. This is a work mm -hmm. of art, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that causes controversy for people who are watching because not everyone really understands that furniture is starting to become that or can be that. And so I saw those two worlds starting to kind of compete against each other. And I mean, I, I, kind of at the end, that's the two people that kind of went up against each other, you and Ariel, mm -hmm. it's kind of those two worlds. Where do you feel like your work fits or how would you like to think about your work in, in that context? I've always tried to put form over function. Function-driven work, I think, is ultimately where we think furniture is supposed to be. But like, I like conversation. I like controversy. I like to put people in places that might make them uncomfortable. And I think that's the best way. And it's, it's, that's a very art-based conceptual idea, I think. And I, I feel like furniture should be in that place. Like furniture is art and that's what it is. And like furniture is fashion and furniture is all the things and everything interconnected and everything is influenced from the other. Like, I think this is what I'm, I'm trying to set myself apart from a lot of other people and a lot of other 
ideas or movements. And I don't necessarily have a real explanation to it. It's just a feeling and it's just part of my, my framework, I suppose. I'm in that camp as well. Like I, you know, I think that there's a lot of conventional furniture out there that you can go buy at CV2 or whatever you want. And, you know, and then there's this other stuff that is more about a conversation of furthering the the art of furniture itself. I mean, it's a, honestly, and it's like a very young uh, industry in a lot of ways. Like, come on, you know, like but after the mid-century, that's when you start to see a little bit more experimental furniture. For a long time, it was just... So, I mean, these are sort of some of the bounds I want to start to break down. And I hope that the show starts to do that because obviously more of the mainstream is going to watch this type of show and they're going to, they're going to feel like, well, if it's not crafted, if it's, you know, if it's breaking or this or that, that's the stuff that they're looking at. And just personally, I was trying to say, well, that's not the only way to think about furniture. I mean, it's an expression and people yeah. forget and people who don't, necessarily know what it takes to get something done in a month like imagine trying to get it done in four days like putting everything you have into something putting all your intuition into this and trusting yourself and executing is a whole lot to do especially with cameras in front of your face it's a complicated situation to be in and you have to basically choose your battles and I chose my battles and I wanted them to be more conceptual. What were some of your favorite works that you completed and some of the things you did not like as much? Oh, well, I loved my first piece. Okay. I actually did, but like it was more supposed to be a story and there was really supposed to be two of them. This was a bounce off of like how we're all the same and can fit together even though we look different. So this is like those two, the top and the bottom were supposed to be two pairs and like you're supposed to turn them and flip like interchange them to like know that like hey we still look the same we're just different colors whatever you know if you had two it, 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 concept didn't work out because i only had one and it fell apart <laughs> if you had a month or two months to make it whatever you need to make those uh perfection how would they look just because i'm sure you weren't satisfied with you know some of the joints that, you, know. you know one of the things i said and you also said it during judging was that i know everybody's gonna put this slap through this stone like i knew it like and that that made me feel safe because even just knowing I didn't have that concept. So maybe I did sort of like pump the brakes on my, on some of the other aspects that maybe should have given a little more attention. That being said, my favorite piece was the mirror piece. Absolute favorite. Awesome. Yeah, me too. That was me being like, okay, Mark, you really like played it really safe this first challenge. So like you need to bring back who you are for this second challenge. And that was a real representation of who I am as a designer through all of the challenges. That one and the last challenge, I think, was the best representation of who I am. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the outdoor challenge, you kind of just had to do something that fit the requirement. Yeah, it's hard to be yourself uh, as much. Yeah, I wanted to be myself. I wanted to be more educational because mm. my mother was a school teacher and she was a science teacher. So, like, I wanted to make it an educational experience on, like, decomposition and worms and plant life and growth and all of these things that you find at like a science fair museum for children. But I, you know, within four days involved, like there was just no fucking way I could do that. So I want to talk about that last piece, the sofa a little bit because oh. so it didn't end up functioning. Right. And then I think a lot of people were like, why the hell would you guys put this man through? And I want to just from the judging side, this is what we had to balance. Like, okay, it didn't 
fit, but was it still a better design than what we were getting from other people? And I'm not speaking for Bridget and Scott, but that was part of how we deliberated about things. It was like, okay, didn't work, but cool design? Yeah. Like interesting things that can come of that? Yeah. Is that feel new? Yeah. You know what I mean? Those were the questions we were asking ourselves and trying to not just say, well, it didn't work. So we really, that last one was, you know, I wish somebody would have knocked it out of the park so badass because then it would have made it a lot easier, but it kind of, no one really hit the mark on it. And it was like, shit, like, how do we think about this then? And then Alan, of course, was like, hey, at this point, you got to look at all of the work. And we had to kind of consider, what, well, what are the standout pieces over the course of the last five weeks? And I know, remember, you were like, I'm going home. But really, at the end of the day, we were looking more for that excitement that we knew, you know, could grow. Well, I think that's what you guys saw in me is that there was this aesthetic sensitivity that sort of streamlined through all of my work is there was an ultimate inherent sensitivity to proportion, palette, design, and that's something very important for me so not to belabor the the competition too much but so now that you've won a hundred thousand dollar prize a lot of exposure i think we can say that you're working with solange right is that something you yeah we uh, can say that so tell me where you're at now like what do you want to do now with your career what are your ambitions moving forward well now that i'm on this platform it's time to be more outspoken it's time to be more of a role model. This is what I came here to do. And this is like my new discovered goal in life is to give back one way or another. What are you doing for Solange first and foremost? We are currently working on St. Huron, a multidisciplinary creative platform. It's basically a constitution in which to give back to the community. It's a archive system. It's a platform for support. It's all these things combined. It's basically, it's so multifaceted. Sometimes it's difficult for me to explain because I feel like I'm learning about it every more and more every day. But it's basically taking back the work of the Black people, like taking our work back because we have our work, we create our work, but then it goes into these, to these institutions. So is this, a, this is an attempt to take everything back for ourselves and keep it for ourselves and have it to give back to our community and to our future. It's basically taking back control. That's what it is. It's literature, it's fashion, it's art, it's performance, it's music, it's object, which is my facet within the company. I was gonna ask you, are you, yeah, are you, you're creating furniture or design? Yes, furniture, functional and non-functional objects. And what I really love about her most is that, you know, she's so, in depth and so entrenched in the process of design and object making and the process of it that is so refreshing to me she mm. understands the process she understands the aesthetic sensitivity she understands that shit takes a long time like she's not like in and out of it as a hobby and this is what i really needed because i couldn't go into this any other way i need her enthusiasm i need her her participation you know and she's there for it and like it's so fantastic i feel so grateful if I was gonna work with someone, this is the person. Yeah, because I mean, now you have that, but you also now have this, you know, 
Mark Ratton to develop at this point, which is <sighs> going to be a whole new beast. You said to me recently, you, you got your first interior design, like full interior design gig. Yes. Can you talk about that? Well, my first interior design gig was my house that was on the cover of El Decor. That was your house. <laughs> that's the place. Yes, your house in Mexico? Yes, that's oh, my beautiful. house okay. in Mexico City. It was on the cover. By the of way, congratulations. First black person ever to be on the cover of El Decor. Yes, this is a major making history over here. Like, I, I can't believe it, Fernando. Congratulations. That's historic. That's history. That's, that's amazing. That's crazy. So my first actual paid project, I suppose, is with Kirby John Raymond. So it's his full, it's like a four-story house in Brooklyn. Fantastic. So this will be my first project, but like when we're going on this simultaneously. Okay. It seems like you're surrounding yourself. Solange, it sounds like uh, St. Huron also is probably all black or brown people. Mm -hmm. I don't know about his firm. Perhaps that's probably how he's, you know, Yes, yes, yeah. him as well. And yeah, you might be right for now though. I might be pursuing those same shoes. Yeah, it sounds like if yeah. you build your studio, you're going to be focused on trying to bring up the young black community. Yeah, because like, I didn't even realize it, but like, I don't know any other... Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is? I, I, I finish your thought. You don't know any young black furniture designers? And I don't know why that is. I'll I mean, let, I met Paul, but like... Let, let's, let, let's dissect that, because I've actually thought about it, because I'm Latino, and I also wonder why there's not that many latinos you know in the industry and um how you get exposed to these types of worlds especially the high-end design world like if you're a poor you're kid getting, you're not getting into this like dude the people that go to the best schools if you go there's basically two schools for furniture it's risd and cranbrook okay those two pratt. are and pratt those are very expensive places to go there's not a lot of scholarships to go to those places so how is anyone going to get exposed to that? And if your parents are working two jobs or working a job, like, like you're not really having ambitions of being a woodworker or a furniture maker. You know what I mean? That's just not enter your, into your realm of possibility. No, it's not a thing. And plus like art isn't really a career. Like, so if they do have the money, it's not going to an arts program. Like, for you to learn how to paint with some oil. And that's why I have to just thank my parents because they're true believers of like, if you're motivated and you think you want to do something, you better do it and you better do it well. You know, when you said that about your mom and dad, I, it, so I grew up in an environment where my mom said to me every day, she's like, you can be anything, you can do it, you can do it, you can do anything you want. And I grew up in a way where it, I was somewhat naive to the, to, the, to the hierarchy that I was about to enter which was the art world. And my first exposure to it was art school. And I didn't actually realize, I was still so naive to realize that all the kids around me were all rich kids. I didn't know, I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. And then only through time did I start to understand, I was like, oh, they don't have to leave this place and get a job right away. Mm -hmm. They don't have to like, and I, I felt bitter about that for a very long time. And actually, I think it ended up motivating me to, and that's why I started my nonprofit organization to help young designers try to get out of, you know, because for so long, I was like, ah, oh, this structure sucks, man. Like, you got to be rich to be able to, like, survive in this world, to survive in this, like, design and art world. Like, mm -hmm. who the fuck else can dream that you're going to, like, make a career out of this stuff? Mm -hmm. Especially the way that you and I, you know, want to make stuff like the fantastical stuff, the collectible mm -hmm. stuff, stuff mm -hmm. that, yeah. So, you know, I think that the approach that you're talking about that maybe Solange is talking about as well, is like, you know, let's try to ignite 
people's imaginations that it is possible. And I think that's probably what you were talking about a lot earlier when it didn't become about you anymore, but about what you represent in terms of the possibilities. Right. And I feel like if I'm not sort of acknowledging this, then I'm not in solidarity. So don't lose this, man. You know what happens when money and fame, like it gets harder to hold on to this. In fact, when you have the, the wealth and the fame, you need to lean into it more. And I think that's also what the people around you are, are, are doing and, and, and showing, you know what I mean? Like, and it becomes harder to do that because you lose touch a little bit. So I hope that, you know, that remains part of your thesis as a human and as a maker throughout, you know? Right. You know, man, like during our exhibition, I, I tried to find black and brown people as much as possible. And it was hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm being really honest about that. It was very hard to find makers. They don't exist. And like, yeah. And like, this is true. Like we're not, there's no exposure to that unless you're already in that world. Like. And I don't know how the fuck I was in that world. Like, it's just like my, my family made a lot of, I made a lot of sacrifices. Even in Mexico, like I was on 20 pesos a day. I remember there was a moment like I was in Brooklyn just because everything went back into the company. Everything went back in the video big I put everything back into this. I remember one time I was at a, a grocery store and I got caught stealing cat food. Like... <laughs> <laughs> not like, for you to eat but for your cat <laughs> yeah i was just like i'm surprised these people wouldn't even let me go i'm sitting here like trying to feed my cat and like there i'm getting in trouble for it like it's it, it got really that bad at some times but like i was okay i was okay because i had my my passion with me i had my work with me i had my motivation with me i i think what you're talking about is like this dude it's the sacrifice to then get up to a place where you are no longer broke or whatever the opportunities start to come and like you're 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 at the beginning stage of that for you know in your career but you put in the sacrifice and now you're here and that's the way it goes and like you know it's not a it's not a big mystery that's how it works if you're one talented because that actually is important i just want to put that caveat out there it's not only that you have to work hard blah blah blah, blah. you have to be talented you have to be good you can't copy other people's word there's got to be you have to have a voice you got to figure out who you are that's something that your work possesses is this individuality about it that feels very much yours like like you know it's like oh scan the room up oh, that's a mark rat. you know what i mean that kind of thing and that i think is what will allow you to you know to really excel so it took um, a long time to get there being authentic is not easy to do like i mean it takes just a little more time, I suppose. And that's what happened to actually when I moved to Mexico, my authenticity started to come to life. This is the thing that people need to understand about Mexico. Yes, the peso is amazing, okay? But you are you will work for that peso. It's not a capitalist society like the states it, like the states are. Like you can't just throw money at something and expect it to get done. That's not how Mexico works. Family comes first, loyalty comes second, like business and your money is a is the least of their priorities so like you can't just show up decide you're gonna pay for something and it's gonna get done like they're gonna decide whether or not they want to do it and whether or not they like you and whether or not you deserve their fucking time and you will learn that shit the hard way like so it's a very spiritual place it teaches you how to slow down it teaches you how to look more at the birds and the trees and the stars and like where you are as a person and who you are as a person and then 
maybe you can get something done. Wow. And do you, was there any tension there being black gay man? I mean, I know. You know yes, all the time. Like I grew up because growing up there, man, I remember deep levels of racism within uh -huh. even the Mexican, like there's the Spanish Mexicans, right? The white Mexicans. And then there's the dark Mexicans who are, you know, and, and there is that tension. And I remember growing up and some of my friends would say comments that were, you know, pretty, pretty racist. And I have to say, I agree with that completely. Yes. And this is just, it's not just Mexico, it's everywhere. Like Spain, Europe, Latin America, the States, it's, it's all, it's colorism, 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 colorism. You're, uh, you recently told me that you're trying to be more in New York. Are you going to probably switch locations? I'm not going to switch locations. I'll just be half and half. So that's so this is what we're going to see we'll, you will see hopefully a collection from you at some point in 2022 or 2022 you'll see a new collection for you might see a mark grattan collection of art-based pieces in that same year 2022 for now i'm just working with solange and i'm working on this house with kirby and just like finding representation for Biddy Vixie as well. But I'm just really waiting for the dust to settle because so much has been going on and I just want to see where these cards fall and then take my next move because it's so... Yeah, well, I feel like you're handling it pretty well. My first six months of my com of when I launched my furniture line, it was such a blur, you know, and trying to build a team and trying to get my work done and figuring out processes that I had never... Anyway, it's a whirlwind, but you're going to enjoy the shit out of it. And I'm proud of you. And I think you did a great job on the show. And, you know, uh, I think we made the right choice for all the people out there that hate on, on the choices we made. I think Ooh. that, yeah, you'll prove us right over time, I'm sure. And, uh, and I can't, oh, man, I can't wait to see what you make next, dude. Like, I can't wait to see a fucking Mark Grattan collection because, you know, something you can sink your teeth into. Because your work... Although is emotional, but it does it come from a narrative that you build within yourself? Because like, and now where do you take that narrative? Like, where do you get that? Do you think that maybe you could make work that talks about this colorism and this these things that you're that you're feeling as a as a designer? Absolutely. But I think my collections really start with like one piece, and it becomes like this this whirlwind and orbits around it. But the image, the, the forms start to evolve from that one, like one thing and it starts to kind of like percolate out from yeah. there. Yes, yes. It's always like one piece that starts my collection. Like the last collection, it was the credenza that started everything else. And the piece before that, it was a bed that decided everything else. I so uh, if, if I was a young black, 15 year old kid who is creative, but doesn't know how to do it. Like, what would you say to me? I would say, don't let anybody tell you you can't, not even if you're, even if your parents tell you, you can't, you can't. Like, don't let anybody say what you can and cannot do because most likely you can't. Just continue to think of your importance and to continue to know that you are important and like everything else will fall into place. How do I know if my work is good? I feel like you're the only one that can answer that. Like, did you work hard on it? Did you put your heart into it? Did you sweat? Did you cry? Did you laugh? Did <laughs> you do all those things in one? Then like, yeah, maybe. But then look at it again and like ask yourself that question again. And then maybe. How do you know? <laughs> how do you know when you've made a fucking masterpiece? You, Mark. Me? How do I know when I made a masterpiece? It sort of has 
I have these like I have these like one, two, three. It's part of my conceptualizing. It's like, do I have that color? Do I have that gesture? Do I have that ingenuity? Do I have that surprise? Like it's always a combination of three things that I need to check off the list. But it, those those three things often are always changing. It just has to be a combination of three. That's interesting. You know, I've, I've, I've spoken about this many times, but my work, I think of it as in a triangular shape, form, content, and materials. When those three things are in harmony, for me, I've made a perfect work of art or a perfect work of sculpture. So I'm always asking myself, well, what's the content? What, what is this thing about? And then what material do I need to use to talk about that idea? You see, form, content, and materials are always in harmony. And when they are, dude, it's, it's perfection. It's a pretty simple equation. But wow. I like that you think of it in three as well. It helps you get rid of the riffraff from your brain a little bit. Right. Do you smoke weed when you uh, go through your processes? I smoke pot all the time. I love it. I love it for <laughs> creativity. I love it in the studio. Yeah. When I had a team of 20 in, New in the studio in New York, it was a little trickier and I wouldn't really right. smoke pot. Yeah. Right. Just to be professional, but ultimately right. I would go home and I would smoke and I would draw and I would try to get my brain, you know, in that creative place. And now that I live upstate, I can, I can find more of that time to focus on creativity without having to smoke pot as much. Right. That's beautiful. But I still yeah. love it, you know, so. Yeah. Sometimes you just, yeah, when you have to, when you have to like answer back to people or. I mean, dude, one thing that's going to be really hard for you, uh, no, because I just know it, is going to be how do you maintain your creativity through the whirlwind that you're going to be on for the next 10, 10 years, probably? You I know? don't see it. Maybe it's just like, it's like, it's just not, maybe I just don't believe it, but like. What? You don't believe what? Is this really going to happen? Yes, it is. Dude, it's already happening, bro. Like, are you kidding me? The network that you're already building uh, alone will help carry you pretty far. And also... You have arrived at a time where you will be seen, you know, you will be seen because bar of the moment in a, in a lot of ways, you know, and you're here with the right skill, the right work, the right, I, I, I talked about this with Alejandro, man, there's, there's, if you catch a wave, man, and you're catching it, you're great and you're right at the right time, right fucking work, everything, dude, that wave's going to carry you and you will, there's almost no way that you cannot succeed unless you stand in your own way. But if you don't stand in your own way, dude, you the sky's the limit. Wow. That's overwhelming and exciting at the same time. Yeah, dude, your life's about to change drastically. Your life will never be the same. I can't wait. Good. Holy shit. I can't fucking wait. I've been working so hard for this, like, yeah. all my life. Like, I feel like, I, like, maybe that's why I don't believe it, because, like, I've been working so hard for it, and it's never really happened. So I'm just like, if what's happening, then, like, it's not supposed to happen, because it hasn't been happening. Like, I felt the same way, man. I remember feeling that exact way. And still, I still feel like I have imposter syndrome going on many times, but. Oh my God. Yes. That's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. It kind of mind boggles you after a while, but you know, I love this conversation. It's been super inspiring. I can't wait to see your next collection, man. Keep me posted on all that you're doing. And then maybe next year we'll do a, another podcast and see where you're at. See where Mark Ratton is um, in 2022. Totally. Let's do it. I'm Let's in. Do it. All right, man. Right. Have a good day. For Bye, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Subscribe, follow, like, write a review. It really does help, honestly. If you're uh, looking for more content, get on Instagram. You can find us there. You can find us on YouTube at FMS Presents. We're kind of everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, we'll be there. All right, talk to you soon.